Hi, everybody. This is Jim Cornette, pro wrestling legend, and you're listening to the Book in the Territory Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast. This is the artist formerly known as Daryl Van Horn, James Mitchell, the Sinister Minister, and I'm here to let you know I would rather slam my cock in a car door than to miss the dulcet tones of Hard Body Harper, my illegitimate son on Booking the Territory podcast. Who <laughs> messy this is professional wrestler Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Wicker Man. Tell my people, my brothers and sisters, don't you dare, don't you dare miss Booking the Territory. Oh, yeah. This is a one man gang. You're listening to Booking the Territory Pro Wrestling Podcast. <laughs> Bonus episode of Booking the Territory, the unprofessional wrestling podcast, where today I am sitting here with longtime independent referee on an extended hiatus, Mike Crockett, who did the show with me a few weeks back, the NWA show, a couple of weeks in a row, along with Brian Fury, the head trainer and owner of the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. Brian, I'll go to you first because these people have heard from Crockett enough now. How you doing, man? I'm wonderful. Living life under quarantine. How about yourself? Living life under quarantine, too. I got to say, the pre-show over the last five minutes was great, giving Crockett a hard time. Uh, I've never <laughs> seen a referee who knows how to turn it on when the right when the red light comes on, quite like Crockett. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's a man of few words, and then many words all at the same time. What a worker. <laughs> what a worker. Crockett, how you doing? You living the dream? Hey, how are you, Mills? I'm very good. How are you? <laughs> he turns it on so good oh man you know what kills me fury so he turns it on right right here yeah <laughs> but when i offered him you know hey come join the btt feed let's do it let's make it happen he's like i don't know i don't know if i could deal with the criticism oh <laughs> yeah hemming and hemming and hawing and uh, it turns into eeyore from winnie the pooh <laughs> Malonis is like, I don't know about you, Crockett, but I'm fucking delightful. <laughs> ah, shit. Anyway, um, Crockett, thank you for doing this as I give you a hard time. I appreciate it. Uh, Fury and I have been talking about doing this for a while and probably close to a year, if not longer. Maybe the last time we had mentioned it was uh, last year's WrestleMania. So we wanted to do something on the independence, at least in our respective areas from the late 90s and early 2000s. But um, before we get into that, uh, Brian Fury, I got to ask you, you told a couple of wonderful stories on the wrestling podcast about nothing a few, I guess a few months ago now. And I don't care which one you start with, but I got to have our listeners hear the Tony Atlas story and the Ricky Morton story you told. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll do um, I'll do the Ricky Morton one first because it's kind of like a it's like a wrestling story, you know, rather than the Tony Atlas story, which is a little more ridiculous. Uh, so we'll, we'll build up to the Tony Atlas story. How about that? Sure. There you go. So um, myself and uh, Jerry Lynn had actually become decent friends. Uh, we'd wrestled so many times on the Indies, and he was getting ready to, you know, retire, and he was winding down his career. And we were supposed to do one more singles match, and he was like apologizing to me at the show, uh, saying he wouldn't be able to do a singles match, and 
blah 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 and he was like oh you know i'm i'm only gonna do a couple tags in my last like two months because we were gonna wrestle like two months down the line when he came back to new england and he was like would you be able to like would you be okay working a tag match against me and uh ricky morton and i was like what <laughs> like how do you, first of all how do you ask me if like that's okay and, like secondly like fucking of course yeah like why <laughs> yes i want to wrestle ricky morton like you're ridiculous so, so fast forward a couple months and myself, uh, my partner, Alex Arion, um, and Jerry Lynn were kind of talking just randomly about different stuff, things we wanted to do in the match. And Jerry wanted to kind of do like the idea where, you know, if like in a tag match, you the old school, you whip your partner into the turnbuckle and the guy jumps up on the to- uh, top rope, like laying across the, the buckle so that it doesn't hurt when they hit the buckle, like it saves them. And Jerry Lynn didn't know like, how to call it or how it like worked or what the spot was uh, kind of. And like Ricky Morton just comes like strutting in to the room, uh, sees us all talking. He's got his, uh, MWO t-shirt. You know what, what that is? Mullet world order. Yep. Yep. He's, he's rocking his mullet world order t-shirt with this glorious, uh, bleach blonde mullet. And he just comes walking over to us and Jerry Lynn was like, Hey Ricky, um, you know, that spot we do, uh, how does that go? And, uh, and he just, Ricky Morton just looks at him and he goes, Jerry, I'm sick and tired. I ain't calling any of this shit back here. I, I don't know what it is you're talking about. I'm going to call my shit out in the ring. Nice to meet you guys. I'm out. And he just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking amazing. And that was like really the first time that uh, me and Alex had met him or seen him that day. And it was like amazing. He just like ribbon on and burying Jerry Lynn right in front of us like because he's such a big leaguer to him it was fucking <laughs> awesome <laughs> now Crocker you you weren't you weren't there right no 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 okay this is that that's still I, I pop more than the story was great but listening to you trying to do the Ricky Morton impression was <laughs> tremendous because I've heard more <laughs> talk before uh, obviously plenty of times and yeah it, it, aside from the uh Brian Fury Ricky Morton accent you know <laughs> it uh it was yes, a I- great story because I could see Morton doing that and storming out and big leaguing him <laughs> oh yeah As I'll tell real, you what, of Rick, course he was like when we got out there he was like I you know I wrestled some old timer guys before and it's like you know maybe a tackle you know, maybe, you know, a wobble and they don't actually bump or different things. He's like, drop kick, two arm drags, give me a body slam. And I was like, calling all this stuff out there. And he's like, taking all these bumps and moving. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy is fucking awesome. Totally did not expect that from a guy like him. How long ago was it? What year was this? Do you remember? <laughs> oh, boy. I This has got to be six or yeah, probably like six years ago, I'd say. Uh, yeah, and he's still going strong. Amazing. Oh yeah, he's yeah, he's like had another like another resurgence like lately. Like it's been insane. Diving through the ropes, Canadian destroyers at his age. Oh, yeah. just, your brother don't care. <laughs> no, he's just out there doing his thing. Dude, he's he is he is he is the complete polar opposite from uh, taking a check and mailing it in at shows. He's going out oh, there yeah. and doing it all. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, uh, great. yeah. Up here in the northeast, we, we you know there's a lot of the same old old timers that were up here for a long time you know you get your snookers your beefcakes and it was like you know they had like their set match and they weren't really going to do a whole lot uh and then to see him come up 
as old or older than those guys were when they were around and like doing like way, way, way more. It was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Ricky's a, Ricky's a good dude. He's still out there doing it big time. Okay. So now I got to get you to tell the Tony Atlas story because this was amazing. I took a bump off the chair <laughs> sitting down at the office. Um, I mean, I guess I'll let you set it up and everything. And I'll just say, of course, it's got something to do with feet, but you have at it. <laughs> so um, we were doing a lot of shows um, for a wrestling company called NWA on Fire, run by uh, the Savoldis, the Savoldi family, uh, Mario and Tommy. They did a lot of work with WWF and WWF way back in the day. Tommy, a referee, and Mario kind of working with like Andre and different things, he, hearing him tell different stories, but with Andre were pretty fantastic. But obviously up in Maine, um, Tony Atlas was like a local guy up there. So they would book him, book him on shows randomly here and there. And so a group of us kind of walked to the subway that was right in front of the venue that we were wrestling at way up in the middle of Maine, literally nothing around at all. And so all of a sudden there's like, five wrestlers and uh, a couple other people like all in the subway and we're just sitting there in line ordering and like tony atlas is uh he just ordered his bread and he's looking at the girl that's making a sub and he's tony's a tall guy and he's looking over the subway thing at her and he's like mm, uh, mm, hemming and hawing making all these different <laughs> noises oh mm. and he goes excuse me miss and he reaches into his fanny pack uh, and before actually, you know, before that, he just looks at her and, um, what did they say? Like seven. And then she goes, she goes, what? No, a six inch or a foot long. He goes, seven. That's what size shoes you're wearing. <laughs> and she was like, how do you, yeah, like really awkward, <laughs> uncomfortable. And then he just reaches into his fanny pack and he pulls out uh, a Polaroid picture. And the Polaroid picture is just like a woman standing straight on his face uh, like covering his whole face nose and mouth and everything with her foot and he just holds up shows it to her and he goes would you like to do this to me <laughs> and she is like horrified <laughs> like uh no and mean this apparently for him it's normal and the guy that was with him like it was like one of his handlers it's normal for him too but we were like mortified like for this poor girl and like totally like creeped out but he was just yeah, didn't care. Just shows it right to her in the middle of the subway. Yeah, would you like to do this to me? Fucking insane. I don't know which part is the best. I couldn't stop laughing because I envision him standing over this subway counter, staring at her feet as she makes his sandwich, and he just <laughs> blurts out. He says nothing else but seven. And the girl's like, what? Seven. <laughs> And he's like size seven, and then so that's that's bad enough. So the girl's gonna be like, uh, yeah, I do wear a seven, but he's got such a foot fetish, he can tell just from the naked eye, uh, what size foot a woman has. Oh. And then to make it worse, he pulls out the damn Polaroid and invites her to <laughs> to replicate it. <laughs> it's one of those, it's one of those things that we'd always heard like talk about it in the locker rooms or whatever. Uh, but never really seen too much. Um, but at, literally, after that moment, like we saw it an awful lot in the locker rooms. It like became like a thing where we would see it. Like other wrestlers would like bring their girlfriends to a show, and he would like pay them money to be able to like just do it in the locker room, like stand in his face and stuff, and take pictures. Wow, 
<laughs> Tremendous. Christ, did you ever did you ever witness this or, or were you were you lucky were you lucky enough not to? I was actually there for this. I was at the subway with these guys and uh yeah, I, I witnessed the whole thing and I mean, I don't know what Fury's talking about. I it was it was normal to me. He he is basically by that point he had normalized it for me because I had been in locker rooms with him and just walking in, you know, coming in out from the ring to the back and just there's a woman with her hands pressed against the wall, <laughs> leaning against the wall, and I look down, just Tony face up, just <laughs> taking it all. Just just eating the cheddar, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no and, and it's it's not the foot it's it it's the the foot with a shoe on it he oh they yeah. have to have the shoe on <sighs> that's part of it <sighs> i don't even allow shoes yeah, in it's... my house never mind shoes on my face <laughs> <laughs> it's just just uh, oh god I, that's tremendous though just to look at a woman's foot in subway and say seven <laughs> <laughs> Good old Tony Atlas. So uh, the, I appreciate the, the greatest you thing. The, the greatest thing too, Mike, is that he would sometimes have like intergender matches, or he'd have a match with uh, with a heel that had a manager, like a female manager, and he would call spots where, okay, while um, you know, while the heel distracts the ref, <laughs> you come over and stand on my face. <laughs> And would, you could see you could see a uh, movement in his trunks. If you want. <laughs> it's just it's a wrestling legend calling spots for the women to stand on his face in the middle of the match. Yep, tremendous. Yes, yes, indeed. Oh boy, I don't know what to say now. <sighs> okay, let me wipe the tears away. All right. Well, uh, I don't know how to segue away from Tony Atlas uh, loving the feet on his face. Uh, other than to say, we'll talk some uh, wrestling now, some some old indie wrestling. Now, now, Fury, cl- clear it up for me, because I couldn't remember when. What year did you get started? So, what year would have been your your first um, you know journeys in the New England indie wrestling? I started scene? in in ninety nine. I started so training I in August uh, August of ninety nine. My first match was in October of ninety nine. Okay, so that's what I thought. That's what Crockett and I were talking about it. Crockett was saying he thought it may have been a little bit after that. So that's what I, I thought you told me that at one point. That's why that's why I was just verifying. So um a while back I remember like the first time you did the show with me, we briefly talked about the differences and we literally broke it down is is you know, there was no social media. Like for me it was it was ninety six. For you ninety nine, but um you know, even ninety six, even in ninety nine, I mean the internet wasn't what it is now. I mean, you didn't have social media, you didn't have um, you know, ways to spread information quickly. Um, I mean, you guess you had email, but that was nothing. You you had message boards. I do remember those things. God God, they were a mess. But uh, one of the things that I remember, yeah, oof, is right. That so it was like that up there too, not just in the south. Yeah, there was one. I mean, the biggest one uh, was based out of like New Jersey for a long time called the Declaration of Independence. And that was like, like a mess. It was really bad. Like little regionalized New England ones that weren't like huge like that. But yeah, I mean, they, they were all like ugly. Yeah. If you, I mean, people think like today social media can be uh, negative. I mean, it's really not. A new thing the negativity online i mean the the minute the internet became a thing and you had message boards 
where independent wrestling was being discussed or promoted or, you know, people were posting. Uh, it was done a lot more anonymously back then because people would do it under, you know, different names and they, they wouldn't use their own. But point being, the negative spin on the Internet now when it comes to wrestling is nothing new. It's just it's just delivered differently and, and is 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 louder, I guess you could say that. But, yeah, we had the message boards and the idiots only mess- message boards, too, and whatnot. So that that's nothing new. But um, the thing, like, I think you and I had talked about it one time was, you know, back in the day. In it, this was independent wrestling. I mean, you would you would have posters and you would put posters up around the town that this wrestling show was going to be in. And I don't I can I'll speak from where I was at. You may have one or two names and I'll define names as, you know, guys from I would call it the territory era at that point, because, you know, in 1996, 97, the territories hadn't been dead that long. Uh, I mean, you actually had some that were like Memphis was still going on. But I mean, for the majority, they they had been dead, but it hadn't been dead that long. So, you know, you would see the, the Chris Adams on the shows down where I was at. You would see the one man gangs, uh, Iceman King Parsons, um, Sam Houston. So I'm just thinking of a few names. That's just a, a few to name off the top of my head. You would see like, you know, maybe one of those names on a poster. Um, what was it like in New England? Was it, was it similar where you would have, like you said, one name on the post, you know, on the show or maybe more than that. And then the rest would just be just local, <laughs> local yokels. So for me, like when I started a lot of the companies where I was first at, um, there weren't really names. Um, there were a couple, a couple places that would bring in one or two. Um, but a lot of the places here had made commitments to making the local guys like the stars for their shows. Uh, I know where I started at AWAs uh, with Jeff Costa, there was no names. Uh, Sheldon Goldberg didn't really use any names for NECW. Um, when Steve came around, uh, after me being around for like three or four years, he didn't really use any names. Um, there were some places that did like a, a millennium wrestling federation that would bring in some, I know when Crockett was around, um, you know, uh, NWA, uh, New England, when, where he was, um, that they used some names, um, Kowalski used, used some names, but a lot of the companies up here, uh, did not, uh, there's just a lot of the, just the local guys for, for the majority of the places that I worked my first, uh, few years. Well, let me, let me say that too. Like where I was at. Um, we had, there was one organization that I worked for that would bring in names. Um, and there were many others that just generally didn't have, have the names on it. So, I mean, I, I don't want to be misleading to say there was a, a name on every single show, but the whole thing was, like you said, you know, you'd have a poster and you'd have, you know, gentlemen, Chris Adams at the top or, uh, rock and roll express, or you would have, uh, I say rock and roll express. I don't know. Think about it. They weren't on many together down where I was at, but Robert Gibson had worked a few cause I know he was, uh, in Pensacola. I believe he's still there. So, but you'd have one name and then the rest would be filled out by locals. So like, how were those shows where there wasn't a name where it was just locals? Like, like who I was mean, on the card and, and whatnot. You know, for a long time, a lot of the places that I wrestled was like, it was like a hundred people to show that that would be what we get for crowds. Uh, and a couple other shows where I were at where they did have some names, it wasn't really too much more. Um, it was a very down period in time for a lot of independent wrestling. Um, you know, if you got over 100 to 150, like it was like good. It was that'd be like really good. Uh, it was pretty light. It was um, uh, the independents weren't thriving in any sense of the word. It was pretty dreary um, but i didn't know any better you know that was like how i started i just thought that's how 
independence were. You know, you read all the books and you heard all the different things. So oh, you wrestle a little here and you'd be lucky if you get 20 bucks in front of, you know, X amount of people. That's what they, all those big stars would say, but that's exactly like what it was. It'd be wrestling in front of not a lot of people. And it was like a, a very different time from literally like three or four years before. Um, I know Crockett can speak more to that, how things were in New England a little bit um, for like Walter shows and different things like that. Crockett, are you still there or did you have to step away? Yeah, I'm here. You were you. There was something I can't remember now. There was something you were telling me when I was telling you that Brian and I were going to do this. You were saying, ask Brian about someone. Now, I don't remember who you were talking about on the Indies up there. So do you recall what we were talking about? I have no clue. Well, I mean, we were talking about his original trainer, uh, Jeff Costa, also (laughs) known. Also, he's Bruiser Costa. He was like a. He worked like a territory in Canada. It wasn't Stampede, but uh, what territory was it, Brian? I honestly don't remember what territory it was. Uh, it was, I think, it was an affiliate of the NWA up there. Um, I don't remember exactly the what it British was. British Columbia but, or something? Yeah, it, it, it was up in that area there. Uh, I think he was a tag champ for a little while, but he was he did some things. But yeah, he um, and then when he came to New England, he was like the carny to end all carnies. He was. Like, like well, do the, tell. I, this is the riveting stuff. So yeah, I mean, he he transformed himself into the Lobster Man, um, <laughs> and he actually even had a um, like a segment on the Daily Show years back where because he was running for president, he was the lob- he was a part of the Crustacean Party, <laughs> but he would also do things like, you know, he would have three D wrestling where he would sell 3D glasses to everybody in the crowd for a dollar. And these people would buy them and wear them. And then he'd come out to the ring and like stick his hands in, the, in their face. He'd be like, oh, I'm coming right at you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what like, a carny. <laughs> insane. Insane. He, would, um, he was the king of like ripoff um, gimmicks of things on TV. Um, there's some towns here in New Hampshire. Uh, Nashua is one. Hollis is another. And so he would have Kevin Nashua and Scott Hollis on his shows, which were clearly, you know, the outsiders. He would have Sting Ray uh, on his shows. <laughs> he he was he was insane, very these insane people, human being. Were, these fans were showing up hoping to see the real thing, and and. Well, that didn't happen. Or did they know it was a gimmick? He'll say that his fans knew it was all tongue-in-cheek, but I think it was, you know, I think there were people that saw the posters and thought the real thing was coming to town. Yeah, um, yeah, the, the, the uh, poster would be a, a big sting, a little ray. <laughs> yeah. So it was very misleading. You And you could do that back then because these were just posters around the town. And, I mean, it wasn't like it is today where those posters go viral and you could call somebody out if, if you could, you know, you could point out that it was obvious, uh, obviously misleading. It was just a different world. So I, I know exactly what you mean. But uh, I feel like your story is not u- unique. What I mean by that is, so, um, like, that was your original trainer. Uh, what was his name? Jeff Costa? Jeff Costa, the lobster man, the lobster man. So, and then you went on to train with who? Uh, Steve Bradley. Right. So, um, was, was Jeff kind of like this, just local guy who 
kind of could teach you the basics, but maybe not everything you needed to know, or was he so, all right? Yeah, like by the time I got to Jeff's, Jeff wasn't really even doing a lot of the hands-on training himself. Uh, a lot of the boys kind of trained each other, and Jeff would watch a little bit, or he'd watch your matches on the show and kind of give you some critiques. Or, um, you know, Jeff's infamous line would be like, oh, I didn't see it, kid, but I heard it. Sounded good. <laughs> 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 like oh thanks jeff appreciate that appreciate that feedback you heard um, all so, 50 people going to wild <laughs> yeah and the crowd goes mild <laughs> uh, so it was like you know i didn't really you know i i got to a point where i thought i understood wrestling and i and i knew the basics like but i didn't really understand psychology and you know different things and that's why um when Steve came back home to New England after being released from his WWE developmental deal, I, I knew that was the place I had to go to kind of take myself to the next level. And that's what you did. And how, so you started in 99, how much longer after 99 did that happen? Steve was here in like, I want to say 2003, 2002. Uh, I, I remember I'd been training about three years. Um, oh, okay. When I kind of went to Steve's and started doing things with Steve's. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, Crockett, were you, when, what year did you get started? I started in 98, um, for Tony Rumble, uh, in NWA New England, but I had been around independent wrestling since like 92. I had been started going to independent shows. So been around it a while and doing it for not quite as long, but a pretty long time. All right. So were there any other, I, and this is for both of you, cause good Lord. I mean, I think we've all run across our share of characters uh, on the scene, indie scene. Were there, what characters can you think of? Cause I think we've seen it all. We've seen some, 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 some strange uh, birds uh, floating through the Indies uh, over the years. Like, uh, can y'all think of any, any, anyone in, in some of these small VFW halls or small buildings you went to that just stood out and you were like, wow. And I'm not asking you to, Make fun of anyone or put anybody on a spot that may or may not be a friend. I'm not asking. I'm not trying to start mess. I'm just looking for some looking for some uh, stories that are out there. I'm talking about the the characters or the people themselves, because I can give you a, like like Both. one of each right now, right, right off the top of my head. Both. Uh, when I was you know when I was going through training, um, I refereed a little bit like before I was able to get out there into uh, matches and stuff. And so Jeff said, refing is a good way to kind of get in the ring and feel it out and get to hear the wrestlers talking and stuff. And the first match I ever refed was lobster man versus, uh, homo Zuna, the sissy sumo. Jesus. <laughs> I think that's another one I brought up that you should, uh, <laughs> inquire about Mills. That's one of okay. those things we're talking about. Please, please, the, yeah. The, the sissy sumo please. homo, homo Zuna. It was, it was insane. <laughs> just and again, I'm so new and I don't really know any other anything else. Like I just thought that was like the norm. I thought that was what independent wrestling was. And then you hear all the stories and you know, you saw the true life MTV and professional wrestler and they made that, you know, Rory Fox the mailman or whatever and he hated it or whatever. But I just thought, okay, I'm gonna be something like this. Like I just it was just normal to me. <sighs> And for most of us, like, we were really just trying to live a dream. Like, you know, you, you found a, like, I don't know about you, but when I found out, I was like, oh, wait, there's somewhere I can go to learn how to do this and maybe make something out of it one day. Um, and most of us grew up watching it. So 
like, I hate to say it, and I, I'm not saying uh, the guy that originally trained you was like this, but we both know, or all three of us know, there's been a number of schools that have popped up, you know, once the internet became a thing where basically anybody who was anybody, if you just had a couple of coins in your pocket, could get trained to quote unquote be a pro wrestler. And the thing that that bred was just a lot of patheticness out there on the indies for, for many, many years. And the indies, it was a wasteland in many ways, in many places. I'm not saying everywhere. I'm saying there were so many different indies out there and there were so many people being trained and you couldn't verify things back in the day. Like, for example, I, the, the guy who originally trained me um, b before I got to work with Rod Price was, you know, he was just a local guy who had gotten trained and, you know, I, I was able to go to school there and learn the basics. But um, you had so many, and there's the thing about like, no matter, and I, I don't want to mention his name because I'm not trying to throw dirt on him or anything, but like there were all these schools and the internet was in its infancy. So it's like, you really couldn't verify anything. Um, do you feel, I mean, obviously you would probably feel it was similar up there where y'all were in the same boat. I mean, like this guy, Jeff Costa or whoever the guys were that you got to work with originally, you know, I'm sure there were he wasn't the only school in the area that, you know, it was just some guy running a school and you couldn't verify anything about it. Right. Right. Well, I mean, like one of my high school friends had gone there and he'd already been training for a year. And so it was like, that was the place to go. Like, just because I knew I could go there. Uh, I had a friend that was there. It was like, it was, it was comfortable. Obviously being from new England, like everybody knew about killer Kowalski's, but I didn't know where it was. I didn't know how much it cost. I didn't know any of that type of stuff. And New England is such a – it's actually – it's really small, tight. Everything's really close to close together, and there's so many different places running that it wasn't until – I want to say I was like five years in until Crockett and I maybe ever did a show together. And even then, it was like you'd see so many people at so many different shows that we didn't become friends until – like another three years after that, when I started working for chaotic regularly and saw him on a regular basis, it was just so many different places and so many different people around all the time that you, it's hard to tell like what from what, like thinking back to those days. So that, that reminded me of something too, when you say that. So nowadays we know we have these indies who are very popular, like, you know, beyond has, uh, would you tell me 2 million, uh, subscribers? Yeah. I think channel? it's like 2.2 million or something like that. It's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. So like you have these indies nowadays who, who the, the town and, and I'm going to say something, this is not knocking the, the nineties, um, when, when you and I were got started, but, uh, the talent on most of the indies nowadays appears to be exponentially better in many ways, at least in my opinion. Now I know there are probably still some indies out there that aren't worth a quarter, but I think based on the fact that you have the internet, you can, those those ones eventually just die out quicker than they may have in the past because they get a bad name. Whereas nowadays you've got these big indies that have they, they draw good houses and and you 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 know from just seeing what they do online quickly that they're a, a, a well run fed. Would you agree? Oh yeah, I mean there's yeah there's there's even in New England here there's like three or four are like that are like the top of the rung. And then there's some that are like middle of the rung. And there's a bunch that you kind of hear about or know about that are like, not that good that, uh, you know, people kind of tend to leave and go to other places. Once you can see that they're kind of 
they want to be better than where they are, where they're at. And it's not to say that's like what I was at when I first started, but it's just, there's so many different levels to this all over the place. And I'm sure it's no different like anywhere across the country, but yeah, there's so many different levels to it. Like it's, it's pretty crazy to think about where, where I was at in, and I'm going to, I'm going to say South Louisiana. Cause, um, I mean, there, there were others in Mississippi and then, uh, Florida, Texas, obviously, but um, just the immediate region. If I'll say South Louisiana, there were, there were three, uh, feds, uh, back, back around the 96, 97, 98, 99 timeframe. Um, even I guess in the early 2000s, now that I think about it, was, um, how well did the, uh, feds that were close to each other get along, Brian? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> it, I mean, that was like a big thing. And then, um, especially, uh, when I started wrestling for Steve Bradley, like his company hated chaotic wrestling, you know, you know, Crockett's company, like they were, that was like the bitter war rivalry, I guess you could say, but um it wasn't really until recently where any companies did any type of work together whatsoever um none of them got along at all like not at all that i can think of so you guys had the same crap that's what that's the point i was getting at where uh and i'll give you the examples of certain promotion i worked for he's like brother you go there you're dead to me i'm like okay you know it's like um why you want to work with that trash all right you know it's like and the thing about that, uh, and this is a uh, Crockett YouTube, please chime in. The thing that always got me about that was as a wrestler, all you wanted to do was wrestle more and get better. Um, but these promoters and their egos were just, good God, can you pump the brakes and just get out of your own little head? Um, so if I'm hearing you correctly, Brian and Crockett as well, you all had a lot of lot of that. So let me ask a follow up. It, it, what if you if you went and worked for some of these quote unquote rival feds? Good Lord, I use that term loosely because it's not like they're pulling uh, tons of fans away. Like you know, there's not thousands of people uh, leaving one and watching the other and leaving the other one alone. Uh, were promoters like you're fired? Fuck you. Uh, we don't want to deal with you no more. I actually got fired from Jeff Costas for a couple months. Um, for wrestling at another promotion uh, in Nashville, New Hampshire, uh, he he was not happy, uh, and like he ends up getting rid of like four guys in his roster because of us wrestling there. And it was like not like I didn't really, again, you know, like they said, oh don't wrestle, but at the same time I didn't think I didn't think it was a big deal. I wanted to wrestle more. I had an opportunity to wrestle like three matches in one day. For like this little TV taping type thing, they were airing up in Vermont. It was for a company called Green Mountain Wrestling, and he was like, Jeff was like, hot, like, nope, not a thing. And it was like, when I left to go to Steve's again, that was like, very angry, not good. Uh, Steve always said, you can wrestle anywhere you want, just can't wrestle for chaotic. Like it was like, yeah, it was bad. Like there were certain things you could or couldn't do, and um, it sucks because it's bullshit you don't ever think about dealing with or even thinking about when you want to become a pro wrestler you just want to wrestle like you said so yeah even as far back as 
Sorry about that. Even as far back as like uh, Kowalski's in the early 90s when I was around there, there was a story with um, – I know uh, people are probably familiar that listen to this podcast with uh, John McAdam. I know they do the Stick to Wrestling podcast over there on Arcadian Vanguard. John McAdam's promotion, UCW. There are a couple of guys that were trained by Kowalski, and Kowalski, uh, you know, he had his school and he had his own shows uh, under the IWF banner. So um, – Two guys, Freight Train Fulton and Bill Wilcox, uh, decided that they were going to go and do these UCW shows. And this is actually before, a little bit before I was around. So it's like 91, maybe early 92, uh, where uh, we just heard that you know, they've been excommunicated from from Killer Kowalski's Kowalski just they were dead to him because they went and did these uh, UCW <laughs> shows for John McAdams. So yeah, they were never heard from again with Kowalski and you know, like the, with the uh, fear. I know um, Jeff Costa sometimes had a short memory, but with Kowalski, yeah, he, he never forgets and he they just never back. We never heard from him again. So, so uh, Kowalski didn't want those guys working for UCW. No. Did yeah. He, he a- went, what, what, once they did, uh, I don't even know if they, I don't know if they checked with them first or what happened. Or I mean, I, I don't know how he got the news because you know news definitely spread a lot slower than that in those days. But he found out and they were gone from the school, gone from his promotion, and uh, yeah, for doing those shows for John McAdam. Tremendous, uh, Fury. I had the same thing happen to me. Um, I went and worked for another organization, and one of them told me, "Nah, we we ain't using you no more." Like, just because I. And it was, it's all like the, I don't know how it was with, with Kowalski and, and UCW, but what I do know is to me, the the thing that drove me the most about it was, it was the, it was the ego of it all. It was like, you know, they, I don't know why, I don't know. And I'm not around the independence enough nowadays to know if this still happens. I don't know why independent promoters, especially back at that time where, 99.9% of them had no TV. They were not broadcasting anywhere. There was YouTube may have been in, in its infancy, but there certainly wasn't wrestling, uh, local wrestling on it by that point. Um, there were no streaming services. I, it drove me up a wall that these promoters would hate you to go work for someone. And, and th- this was literally the excuse I heard. Please tell me if this is what you guys heard too. Brother, I'm sitting there doing this with you, and I'm building you up, and you're going to go take a pinfall 90 miles away. Bruh, come on. <laughs> I mean, dude, let's get real here. The if, if there's two people that drove 90 miles to go to another show, so what? I, I mean, like... And you act like I'm going out there and doing a doing a squash job in in 60 seconds. Like Magnum TA is on Saturday night beating me in 20 seconds with a belly to belly. I mean, like, did y'all have to deal with that too? Like, was that the thing? Because I know that was the thing with us. It was like, well, I'm doing this with you, and then you're gonna go take a pinfall from it. Well, that's it's wrestling. We're working. Um, yeah. Was it like that there? Yeah. yeah well, uh, so well, some uh, some promoters more than others. That was like the Sheldon Goldberg special. Um, you know, I was dating a girl at the time who was his woman's champion who uh did a job for another girl that actually he used and 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 um did a job for her in a different promotion down in Connecticut. And he was like, Nope, can't have that. Uh have to take the title off to her immediately next show and all this other stuff. We're like, What what does it matter? It doesn't. <laughs> they uh Brian 
Brian, do you want to tell the story about uh, the chaotic wrestling champion uh, working for Grampy's <laughs> promotion? Similar. So, <laughs> okay, give, go so, before, hey, for, before before you do it. Give me give me. Can you give me years when you're talking about this? Like what like what year you're talking about this happened? Oh boy, that was that one had to have been um, 2005, six, so okay. like, like like in that time frame, maybe six or seven, like in that area. Yeah, when, when that happened. Uh, I so for this one had to have been probably like oh four or five or something, but um, so like we said, Steve and Chaotix kind of had this thing where did not get along, did not like. But one of um, Chaotix students, um, Chad Wicks, right? What was his name? He wrestled yep. at WWE for a while as uh, Chad Dick. Um, was coming up to Steve's once a week and training. I just wanted to get a different perspective, and he always wanted to be in the ring as much as possible because he's a lunatic. Um, but that's the way to do it back back in the day. But he also he is also a lunatic. So, anyways, like he's kept coming to Steve's, kept coming to Steve's. So finally, Steve was like, uh, he came up with a with the whole gimmick for him, and he gave him a match. And um, Steve was like, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna test him. I'm gonna test him. I'm gonna test him." And so he had him told him he was going to get squashed like losing like under a minute and so chad was like fine eh, no problem no big deal uh but at the same time chad was also the chaotic wrestling heavyweight champion and so steve had him losing under a minute and steve was like celebrating <laughs> like like high-fiving his buddy alex and, <laughs> and all this other stuff and the next day on the front page of uh, the WFA website, which was Steve's wrestling promotion, um, local champion loses to you know D in under a minute, but like huge thing, like right in the front page of the thing, like completely <laughs> burying him. <laughs> and so, Crockett could probably say talk about what happened like on the other end of that because I only I only saw the that that end that I just said. Yeah, it was just a matter of like. Chad, are you stupid? Why would you Why would you go and do that? It's it, there. There was. Yeah, there's this animosity, and I, I'm I'm not even sure that they knew that he was going up to Steve's to train, but um, just the fact that uh, he, <laughs> he agreed to do this and then did it, it, it just put a kind of egg on Chaotic Wrestling's face, and uh, I'm not sure. I think I think I don't think they took the title off him or anything, but it was uh, kind of a black mark in his uh, in his book. You know, you know the thing that got me about that. So like. I mean, I can remember similar stories, not not like, you know, where it's on a newsletter or the front page of it. But the thing that always got me was um, just like, you know, you guys worked for different feds that I guess well, you'd call it a feud. Um, at the end of the day, the part that used to drive me up a wall the most about that was so these promoters had these egos um, in the on the indies and in, in the 90s. And I guess they all thought they, I don't know if, you know, not being that I wasn't a promoter, I don't know if these guys really thought that they were going to bring back wrestling, which was like in the territories and they, they wanted to be like cowboy Bill Watts. And I use that example because, you know, I grew up in the mid South territory and Watts drove a hard bargain. I don't know if that's what they wanted or, or what, but what used to kill me more than anything was so, you know, these organizations that I worked for, or you guys worked for, at least for me in the South was like, I had I the guys that I met on the that weren't the promoter, like you know, just just the other boys on, on the shows. I mean, like we all got along, and you know, I was a young kid in my tw- in my early twenties, like at that time. So, you know, the 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 talent minus the the promoter, 
like you know you eventually would make friends with them like you like you two became friends and it was like oh you know this guy's cool you know he's just working for another organization he's literally just trying to you know just trying to work his craft just like i'm working mine and what used to kill me is the promoters like they just wanted to just they they wanted it to be like like it was a civil war are you for the north or the south it's like dude it's <laughs> it's not that serious we are not trying to solve the north and south problems right here we 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 are working literally in the same industry um we we all have the same goals it's just you two hooligans just being complete assholes and the thing that i wish i could go back in time with is you know we were uh Brian, well let me ask this fury how old were you when you started I was 20. I, I was 20 as well. Uh, I uh, I hadn't quite made 21, but um, uh, it was the year I was going to make 21. So I was 20 as well. Uh, Crockett, technically, assuming you have license in your state, what was the first year you were licensed to work shows? Um, we didn't have a or, license. Um, okay. So that's, well, but, I guess what I meant was I know you had said you had been in the back since 92. What I think I was trying to get at, well, technically, what's the, I guess, the first show when you first started working? I think I was 23. So, my point is, you know, Crocker, you're 23, Fury, you and I were both 20. We were just really, really young kids, you know, wanting to do something that we loved. And like in hindsight now, if I could go back, if I had a time machine right now, I wish I could go back in time and like just look at these promoters and say, you guys are just assholes. Grow the fuck <laughs> up and and let's all at least try to make a little money and get along because again this isn't the north and the south we're not the the union fighting the confederacy here y'all you're taking this too serious and that was the, the thing that always got me i mean was it was it similar to for for you crockett and fury as well like up there where it's like okay these i'm i met some of the kids some of the guys on these other shows and these quote-unquote feud promotions um but you know they're all right they're just, i mean there's you know obviously there's people you're gonna never get along with but for the most part didn't were did the boys all get along and ladies if if there were any well it's one of those things where like you know crock uh chaotic and wfa would both run on a friday night and then on a saturday <laughs> and then on a saturday night there'd be some people from each show on a different show all together and it didn't affect us any like we're like boys were the boys like we were all still like pals and stuff it was more like those are the two places like we weren't allowed to wrestle for chaotic chaotic guys weren't allowed to wrestle for Steve and, but you could go anywhere else and do whatever you wanted. And there was plenty of cross pollination and a lot of other places, just those two places. And you know, it stems from, you know, a couple different things. Um, Steve felt Steve felt and was disrespected by one of the owners of chaotic wrestling when he first was released from WWE uh, and came back. And then further along the line, I think both, both companies were very legitimate and kind of both had aspirations to be um, like a version of a developmental system for WWE for the, for the, like in the new England area. And they both had right. different, different ties to the WWE. I think they both had um, different ins, if you will. And they both legitimately had a shot. And so because of that, I think that kind of added to it as well um, where they both really, you know, it's not like these were like two kind of crappy promotions going head to head. Like they were the two literal best promotions in New England going head to head. Literally, like some Friday nights would be like three miles away on the same road, even though it'd be different towns, <laughs> like like literally yeah. three miles away on the same road. And they were both, you know, good shows and both shows would actually draw well, which makes you think like 
imagine if they weren't and running head to head, like how much better each show would have done individually, you know, but it was like, I can see why both <laughs> companies hated it, but the boys, yeah, it didn't really matter to the boys. Like I didn't hate anybody from there. Cause I would see them at other shows and whatever, like shoot the shit with them, talk with them, whatever. It didn't really matter to me. Or actually a lot of times see them at my local Denny's, like randomly after shows, like, I'd be I'd come home from a show and they'd be out and about after a show and kind of meet up there and see each other and have random awkward interactions with each other there at a Denny's at like three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's a. What about you, Crockett? Same thing. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna mention the thing that the, yeah they literally on the same road we'd, we'd each run a show. It's it was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, splitting the audience definitely, and I mean I maybe just my general awkward nature, but I always felt a little awkward around the guys from Steve Bradley's promotion. It was like, you know, chaotic guys had a reputation of kind of being, I guess maybe a little elitist. So we'd kind of keep to ourselves. And then uh, from my perspective, like the WFA guys, there'd be little awkwardness. There'd be some like standoffishness there. I, I didn't feel all buddy, buddy with you guys, Brian. Yeah, I, I I felt that way from, you know, so fast forward a couple of years, Steve's closes and then a couple of us kind of go into chaotic and kind of really become like friends and, and a big group. But there were some people that weren't super accepting and that were a little weird. And there are others that like were like Todd, for instance, um, you know, Warbeard Hansen, um, like um, or Ivar. Actually, that's what he is now. Right. Ivar of the Viking Raiders, like. Him and I were always like buddies. He used to come to Jeff's shows and and watch and and be there and stuff. So I I knew him forever, and a couple other people like Chase. I knew him from like some NCW shows and different things. But it wasn't like everybody was buddy buddy. But you know there was no like. I know for me there was no ill will, but I wasn't like we weren't like super pals like with everybody right away but there were some people that were you know cross-pollinated from so many different shows being around that yeah we were buddies but yeah i can totally see what you're saying too crockett i i think you i think you place it white right too fury like when you said uh cross-pollinating i i didn't think about it that term but that's exactly what what i feel like we experienced too and the the other the, the other thing that made it difficult again because Look, I just I look back at my life now and I sometimes I feel like it's just a really old man, even though I'm not that old. But at 44, <laughs> I look back and I go, um, because, I mean, the only ties I have to wrestling at this point is is this show. I, I mean, I, I am not actively out there, nor nor do I want to be. But like I, I think about just being so young and, you know, we were we were we were I guess uh, the term I'm looking for is the 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 main promotions we worked for. They really wanted us to be tribal. But at the end of the day, we, like you said, were, we just wanted to work and there was a lot of cross pollinization. And I remember, I think back to being so young and the younger you are, the more easily you are influenced. I firmly believe that, especially as a teenager, but even in your young, you know, even in your early twenties, you're influenced very easily, especially by people who are older than you. So I can remember, you know, guys in their thirties and, you know, mid thirties who, you know, quote unquote, been around the indie scene for a while, brother. Um, they, <laughs> Like, I can remember them, like, just being, you know, one way, like, oh, let me tell you about this guy. And and I can remember learning pretty quick in my early 20s going, all right, I got to stop listening to this these dudes because 
uh, basically it's just ego driven. This guy, there's nothing wrong with him. And I can remember meeting guys that were, you know, they were on the other side. They were working for this organization or that one. And, you know, it was, it was all, you know, it was all cool. But yeah, just like you, at the end of the day, I got fired from one promotion and then brought back eventually. But it's just amazing how it worked back then. And, uh, which I guess uh, it's me to segue into now. I mean, Brian, you're still doing it. I mean, you you have a promotion. Uh, ha- has that laxed a bit um, in today's day and age, or is it still tribal well, in yeah. some ways? Even even like when I was still wrestling, like towards the end of my very active career, um, it had laxed a lot. Um, you know, even like we'll work with other promotions sometimes like, Oh, this person's going to come to new England. Well, we'll pitch in for some of his flight. We'll use him on the Friday. You guys use him on the Saturday beyond. We'll use him on the Sunday and he'll kind of run like a little loop, if you will, like whether in new England and the companies will pitch in and work together and do lots of different things. Um, that shit was not happening in the nineties. No, it, it never was. And it's, it's one of those things where, uh, the evolution of the business, like, but also I think the internet helps in that, like, people know of some of these people like for instance alex hammerstone just came to new england not too long ago he's been doing some stuff for mlw and he's wrestled mm-hmm. in mexico and japan and stuff and he's coming up and he did a show for us and he did a show for limitless wrestling he might have done something else on that sunday as well and it was like okay like we we're able to work together to help bring this guy in it helps our costs it it it, it brings a lot of that stuff down it makes it more affordable for everybody uh, because that person's gonna wrestle three shows in the area um, you know, and, and be put up and whatever else. And they, they'll might charge a little bit less because they have three bookings now instead of just coming all this way from one. So, uh, I, I think the fact that companies are willing to work together and help each other out in, in senses like that, that it, it's really only beneficial to us. Yeah. It's, it makes so much more sense now. So, so it's definitely, it's definitely not, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's, almost like a 360 difference than it was many years ago well i mean for me it's because i wrestled uh primarily in new england for so long i know all these other promoters like i know them all well i wrestled for them all um you know i became friends with them so it's easy for me to work with them or talk to them like like anybody else you know i can just approach it as like a dude rather than trying to just be a business person or uh, you know, talking to somebody I didn't really know, uh, had I only wrestled chaotic wrestling, I think talking to these people or trying to work things like this, that would be a lot more difficult for me. Um, you know, but because I have a different type of relationship with them, it, it comes more natural and it's a little easier. Yeah. You've got those interpersonal relationships with them for many years. That's a good point. Um, Cro- Crockett, um, I mean, you're not around it as much now, but, um, to what when did you when did you uh go on your first official extended hiatus oh what was it about maybe three or four years now who's right yeah about four years okay um were you seeing it too i mean obviously y'all are in the same area so i'm sure you kind of see it the same as brian yeah i mean definitely more so i mean when Brian bought Chaotic, I was already done. And like he said, he's much more open to talking to other promoters. Uh, with the previous owner, he was still a little territorial. Um, he liked to have things his way. And he liked to, like, he, he was, he didn't want to, like, share footage. He didn't want, he was definitely more shots. in the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, Fury, I'm gonna get him to feel uneasy right now. Who are we talking about, Crockett? 
<laughs> he definitely had a more old school mentality. I'll put it that way. Now, now you're getting. Now I'm getting hot in the collar here. <laughs> no, like, uh, like I, I know the old promoter very well, and Crockett's hitting the nail on the right. head. Like, chaotic yeah. footage never saw the light of day. Like nobody, chaotic has been home to so many people over the years, but nobody would really know it because that nobody ever saw the footage. It was never out there. Uh, he would never talk to other promoters. He would never do anything. It was just him, 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 his way, his way, his way. And you know, that's just, that's like an old school type of mentality an old school type of way of doing it. It's like a, it's like the old, I mean, I don't want to say it's, it's different cause it, it, you know, it is in a slight on chaotic's previous uh, ownership or whatnot, but it's uh it's, it's a very like territorial type of way. Like the territories were where um, the territories did work with other territories. I mean, the NWA territories that is, but, but like my point is, you know, they controlled everything in, in their one little area and they had all control and, you know, the, the TV stations only got what they want, what they, what they sent them. And that was pretty much it. I mean, it's not the same cause it's a different world, but like, I kind of see what you mean. I mean, cause I think you were on the WPAN. Maybe it's one of your, God, you've been on there so many times now. So obviously I can't even cite when this was, but I remember you talking about this and talking about all the footage that I guess you could eventually uh, put onto Chaotic's YouTube channel, or am I am I misthinking this? As I'm no, hearing? yeah, like yeah, we have to. We're still kind of cataloging it and going through it all, and then we have to like digitize it because a lot of it's older from tapes and, right. and whatnot. But I mean, the, the amount of people that have gone through there that were able to, you know, put out there, you know, the Sasha Banks's, Tommaso Champas, Kofi Kingston's, Ivars. You know, Flip Gordon's, Dominic Dijak's, and Antonio Thomas's, and you know whoever else has kind of been through there, like you know Bobby E. And the list literally just goes on and on and on. Dude, like you, you just named like, so many people, and it's amazing because you'd be able to see their footage from those early years. Yeah, like there's so much of it, and it's like it's crazy to think that like for years and years, like none of it was ever out there. Uh, towards the end of Crockett's run, there when he was kind of helping out with production and stuff. Um, video things started picking up a little bit. He would at least show like a couple of highlights or clips from matches, and he would do like a little like chaotic cast, like newscast rundown thing. It was like a little ten minute long video that took place after the show, kind of recapping things. But even before that, like there'd be nothing, like nothing. It just wouldn't ever see the light of day. Uh, very rarely would there be like a DVD, maybe one or two DVDs a year of like just a specific event, but really nothing. Like nothing was ever available to anybody or anything so how how long um the previous owner what what years did he own chaotic he owned it for how long crockett like 18 years i think so yeah it started in 2000 i think right okay that's what i was trying to figure out i was trying to figure out the year because i know fury has it been two years since you bought it or longer yeah a little over two years now okay that's what two two years and four months so yeah Okay. Uh, little did you know you'd be shut down by a pandemic uh, for, for a few months. <laughs> uh, yep. It's got to be crazy. But um, yeah, there, there's got to be, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've heard some of the stories you've told on the, the WPAN over the years. And I mean, there's got to be just tons of footage there, just stuff that's gold from all the people who have come through the territory and uh, territory, you know what I mean? Promotion. And obviously I'm, I'm assuming a lot of it was shot with one camera. Cause back in 2000, uh, many wrestling events, you, you literally had a, a VHS camcorder recording these. If you, <laughs> if you, if you were lucky. So you literally had one shot towards the ring. Um, they were, they were not in these, uh, with, uh, other handhelds, uh, roaming the floor. So, but it's still I think a lot of footage. Them- yeah, we, yeah. This is just like tapes and tapes full of footage to kind of go yeah. through. 
they all have like the date of the event and stuff on it. I'm sure I could figure out and look up and see what matches were on there. But yeah, there's so much stuff. Yeah, like, you, I, I understand you like hours how, to watch like, it. <laughs> yeah. I understand like why he did it that way and how it was done. Again, like he had a legitimate shot of being like a developmental ter- territory for WWE. He had the right. connections. He did, worked with a lot, a lot of people there. Uh, the amount of people that he sent and went up to go through there. Um, the relationship that he had with the many different, um, you know, people that hired talent and stuff like. So, I get it. He was kind of running things very similar to how they did. And how he thought they would want him to in order to try to really make that relationship happen. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. And I, I don't want it to sound like it's a it's a slight against the previous owner. Um, But I mean, Fury, had, not Fury, uh, Crockett, I know you brought it up. You were saying how how it's uh, much different now that Brian's got it. And I mean, rightfully so. So I'm mean, not rightfully so. But, you know, it's a, it's a different world. And Brian had those relationships with the talent around the area and that now who are now promoters. And it's a lot easier. But. I mean, you've basically confirmed everything I thought. Um, and this is just two areas. I mean, you're talking about New England. I'm talking about the uh, south part of the United States. And, um, yeah, it just seems very similar. You know, you, you have guys that were just very territorial. Um, we were lucky if we worked shows with stars, uh, quote unquote names, as, as we would call them back then. Do they even use that term still now? Fury, I haven't been in the locker room in so long. Do do you even use the ter- like back then? We would use the term. What name is on the show? Like we literally no, would say yeah, that. yeah. I think that that's still like just a thing that we say. Yeah, like uh, okay. are we gonna bring in, are you gonna bring a name in? But now I think there's like you know there's different levels of names. There's names would be like you know a former WWE guy for instance, and then there's like an indie name. You know like like a like can't really say like Chris Hero anymore, but it's harder to do the indie names now because a lot of them got gobbled up by NXT. But like you could say like, oh, a Keith Lee or a, oh, you know, a, a Chris Hero. You know, like it'd be indie names, it'd be names, so there'd be different categories, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, that that makes. I was just curious. I'm like, did he even say that? Because that was the thing back then. It was always. Uh, what name's going to be like literally i can remember saying that every t- every single time I, I got a call oh we're, we're running this day to go oh you got any names on it you know who's the name coming in um I the joke up I- here the joke up here would be um oh who's todd gonna wrestle <laughs> <laughs> please explain <laughs> i'm sure crockett can explain that one yeah because uh ivar from the viking raiders he definitely had the promoter's ear uh the old chaotic wrestling promoter so Nine times out of ten, when there was a name on the show, he'd end up working with uh, with Todd. <laughs> so, so Todd got Todd was always a lucky one. <laughs> <laughs> like almost every single time, yes. Was there any animosity towards uh, Warbeard Hanson, aka Ivar, uh, because he always got to work with the name? Um, I don't know about animosity, but there was definitely like, you know, people would not hesitate to say, yeah. Fucking Todd, there he is again, politicking. Oh, what 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 name's Todd gonna work? Oh, who's Todd working? Um, <laughs> and the most infamous time was the time it backfired on him at uh you know the John Cena show where he politicked and politicked to get himself wrestling Eugene rather than wrestling for the heavyweight title like he was supposed to, and that was the match that Vince McMahon ended up doing the running in. 
you've told this story, or Malone has told that story um, on this show years ago, and I don't remember <laughs> the date of it, when it would have been, and I know you've told it on WPAM, but that was that was tremendous. Uh, I, I, I didn't, not that I didn't believe it, but it was it was surreal seeing the footage from it when when it finally, I guess, saw the light of day, because I was, I guess it was, uh, it was um, held back for many years, or um, is that true? There's like, a hand, there's like a hand cam footage out there. But as far as like the actual footage, like I don't even think I have that. Like I don't oh, think that okay. footage like is is <laughs> like exists. I don't think that's like a thing. Like I think Jamie is like hoarded it and like erased it from <laughs> from memory. But I just remember like sitting in the back watching it and like being weirded out by like who the hell is this person in the ring and realizing it was Vince McMahon and everybody in the back was just like this is crazy. What year was that? Around about. Uh, Crockett probably know better than I would. Uh, yeah, maybe not. Two thousand seven, eight, nine. That's yeah, still yeah. something. Vince McMahon at an indie show that late in the two thousand. That's incredible. Yeah. Is is oh. really insane to think about. Yeah, yeah. The footage I've seen the footage that Malone has sent me. The I guess the the from the floor or whatever. But no, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I don't know, Crockett. Did I miss anything? I mean, we talked. We kind of went all over the place. But um, it, so it's... one more thing that I wanted to touch on. Um, you know, we had kind of briefly talked about this a little bit in private. Like we talked about the differences of like locally, and we talked about differences in promoters and stuff. But like for wrestlers themselves. Uh, the 2000s, I know for me, there was like no opportunities to really oh, yeah. work work for WWE or there was no other real promotions. It was just WWE. Ring of Honor had kind of started up and you know they had like their little niche audience that, that they were kind of catering to and it was really difficult to get in there. But the joke always was, what was it, 6'3", 240, Crockett? Is that yeah. what it was? Yeah, 6'2", I believe, yeah. Yeah, so... You had to be that to be able to even be looked at by WWE. Uh, if you were an independent wrestler, they really didn't, you know, for a long time, they wanted nothing to do with you. They wanted to be able to just start you from scratch and teach you everything your own. So you didn't have quote unquote, like bad habits. They'd have to retrain. Um, and it wasn't, it isn't like it is today where, you know, if you're an independent wrestler, that's like a, a step up and, and a way to help you get in the door, uh, a way to help you wrestle for other promotions. It was like, WWE wanted nothing to do with an independent guy unless you were huge. I know, and I know many of people have said that on whether it be interviews or podcasts, but I don't know if people realize like how how strict they were with that. I mean, I just remember, I, I like here's here's how I saw it, Fury. I remember starting in you know the '96 time period, and I started. Uh, around the time the NWO was uh, just uh, forming. Um, uh, matter of fact, I think my first or second show was the the Bash at the Beach when Hogan made his debut uh, as a member of the NWO. I think that was my, I don't, say, I, I don't remember, but it, it, that was right around the time I was getting started. I had a show that same exact day, except it was earlier in the afternoon. And I remember going home and a friend of mine taped it. So, you know, and you could stay away from you. You had no idea what happened. I just watched when I got home. So anyway, long story. What I, what I mean by that is like, I remember thinking, you know, at that point, there were only three places to go is WCW, WWF or ECW. And I don't know about you, but for me, the way I felt was like, I mean, I, I mean, I'm only five, nine. I wasn't a big guy. 
Um, I mean, I was I had a lot more mass on like not mass. I was bigger weight wise than I am now. Um, but like I never I thought like, OK, um, God, I, I mean, I'm not going to go to WCW ever. I'm not going to WWF because, you know, they to get into those places, you, you had to. You had to look like somebody. You had to be big. You had to be tall. Like you said, 6'3", however many pounds, and, and had a body on you. And it got worse. That, what I'm saying, got worse as you got into the late 90s and in early 2000s. Eventually, by the time WCW and ECW were no longer, it really was bad. Like, you really had nowhere to go. And for me, that really killed a lot of my drive. And... Like, I, I remember telling Malonis this, and I may have even told you this before. The fact that you all kept kicking it, kicking at it. I'm not, I went, I went more years. I didn't just, I didn't just stop in 01. But the fact that, like, you guys kept on even into the late, you know, 2009, 2010, and even beyond that. I mean, that says a lot because, I mean, for, from where I was, I was like, it just, like, I felt like, okay, there's no way this dream is never going to happen. I mean, you're, you're, you're just, it's just a, it's just a, you know, pipe dream at this point. It's just not going to go. It's not going to happen. And it was just a total, like you said, a totally different world. And the indies were, that was the other part. The indies were like, they were dying. They were dead. They were nothing like they are now, you know, minus the pandemic where nobody's working. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was just, it's, it was so crazy to think about like, you know, you had no, like literally for the longest time, you had no shot. Like no shot, no shot, no shot to be able to do more, uh, you know. And like you said, like a guy like you know Todd or Malonis and myself, like we kept on going and still pushed and tried. Um, and then it was like you could see time starting to change and things, you know, things opening up. And but then it was like we still were like, well, okay, like what's going to happen now? Like what's going to be wrong now? And we started all taking different avenues, and then you know. Uh, Todd started working for Ring of Honor, and then Malona started working for Ring of Honor, and then Todd from Ring of Honor went to New Japan, and then went to you know everywhere else. Like it was like the payoffs were finally happening for you know it's it was almost like the old days. You had to be in the territories for five <laughs> ten years before yeah. before Vince would look at you. You know, so it kind of became that all over again. I mean, it was like you said too. There was a transition at, at the eventually the. You know, the term they used to say was, you know, you'd have the indie stink on you. If you had that indie stink on you in those in the 90s and in, in early parts of the 2000s, you, you just weren't getting a look. It just wasn't happening. Like you said, Ring of Honor wasn't wasn't that big of a thing yet. I think the I think the biggest thing that tells you, you know, I mean, you can talk about how Warbeard and Todd, like how, how you know, how he's made it finally. And, and Brian Malonis has made it to ROH. But, you know, like you, this, this was funny to me. Um not not in a mean way, but you <laughs> make the top prospect tournament for ROH, and please tell the people how many years you had had in the business before you were quote unquote top prospect. <sighs> you were like point, the old man it, in the yard. <laughs> at that point, it was like sixteen or seventeen years that I've, that I've been wrestling when when I got put in the top prospect tournament. Right. Yeah. Uh, so funny story. Um, I had done a couple of shots for Ring of Honor. I had done. Um, I had won like a four-way match with like Vinny Marcellia was in there, Todd was in there, another guy named Congo, and I got a Ring of Honor TV title shot against Matt Taven, um, and that was in like June or July, and I was like, I think I'm going to be in the top prospect tournament coming January. I think it's going to happen. Um, we had done one other like of their seminars, their prospect tournament, uh, not prospect tournament, the prospect seminar things. Myself and Todd went down. 
um, did one of their things at the school. And, you know, Todd was just talking about on the way back, he was like, like yelling at me because he'd been injured so many times in his career, hurt his back and hurt his hip and his shoulder. And he'd missed so much time. And I had never been injured at all. And literally like five days after he told me that is when I broke my ankle. <laughs> I was out for like four months. So Todd basically willed that injury on me. And then I'm 100% convinced that he took my place in that year's top prospect tournament when he, when he ended up going and winning it. Um, and that was a few years before you then ended up in it, right? Yeah. Then, yeah. It was like, yeah. I think it was a year before or two years before that, that I was in. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, you had a hell of a showing, hell of a showing. I will say that, uh, in that tournament, uh, beaten by just Leo Rush. Just, yeah. Just don't ask Taz. Yeah. Crockett. Are you still there? Yes, of course. Okay. The, the, uh, did you ever hear what Taz said about Fury? I I, I don't recall. <laughs> I'll bring it up. He was, I'll bring it up. It's something on his, on his show, right? On his radio show, he was reviewing ROH. I remember this distinctly. Yes, he was on his radio show. He's reviewing ROH, and he's, he's reviewing a top prospect tournament. And look, I'm not trying to kiss Fury's ass, but I mean, him and, him and, and Leo had a... I, I'm not going to sit there and tell you it was 20 stars, but they had a good match. I mean, it was... I mean, I mean, Brian, self-critique yourself. Was was there anything you thought went bad? So this was a, the first round match, and that was my match against. That's um, right. That's right. That's right. Um. Oh my God! Why can't I think of his name right off the top of my head? Um, it was the first round match. I forgot. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was a uh, Leo San Giovanni's tag partner there. Um. Oh my God! I'm such an God, asshole. I, I I'm drawing a blank too. His, I can't his, think, um, of, think of think of what his name shit, is. What is his name? Um, LSG. The oh my God! What the <laughs> right, hell? Right. Yeah, is... I remember LSG, but I can't remember his partner's name. But regardless, it, it, it was it was a very good opening match. It was you know I was the distinct heel, like veteran guy. Uh, I gave him like seventy percent of the match. I just did a couple things, and I like kind of cheated to win. And like, yeah, Taz was like like tearing me up on, on all these different things like online just to he was like literally just saying stuff just to sound smart like using terms and different things and like none of it was correct and i called him out on like every single thing that he said on twitter and he was like hot about it so here's okay here's what i remember from it this was this is what happened now i, I forgot I, I kept saying it was the leo it wasn't the final you're right it was the opening match he he went on his radio show and he said that there was a spot in the match where you you Irish whipped um, the guys the guy into either the corner it, or the rope. Is it Shaheem it, Ali? Shaheem Ali. Yes. That's it. Yes. Shaheem Ali. God, we're sorry. Thank Shaheem you. Ali, if you ever listen to this, we apologize. We just could not remember for nothing. Shaheem Ali, you are right. So what Taz said, and, I, and here was the thing. I, I was like, I actually went back and looked at the match because I saw Brian and Taz going back and forth on Twitter. I was like, oh, this is good. And I knew I was about to talk to Brian on the show because we had talked. You and I had talked before the tournament. And then I said, hey, won't you come back after and we'll do a recap of it all. So in the match, there was a point in the match where you Irish whipped uh, Shaheem Ali either into a corner or, or, you know, just into the ropes. And Taz said he was like. It's this guy Fury, and I mean, I mean, I don't know what the guy's doing. You know, I, I can't do a Taz imitation, but he's like, he's like, I mean, you know, oh, he's sitting there, and and uh, he, uh, he, all you had to do was short shoot him. He didn't have to back him up into ropes. And I was like, what? So I, and what he means, like anybody out there who's listening with short shooting him is, let's say you're standing in the center of the damn ring, and you you don't want to just 
push the guy back into the ropes and then shoot him off. You literally just kind of grab him by his arm and whip him in. You short shoot him into the ropes. At least that's how I think about a short shoot. Fury, am I right? Exactly. No, yeah, exactly. I yell at my students like every single class when they push somebody back to the ropes before I was ripping them. So I would never do it in a million years. (laughs) Right. So he was like, he said that you did that. So I went back and watched the match. I was like, he didn't, he didn't do that. So anyway, uh, Anyway, to long story short, Fury and Taz go back and forth. And then I remember when Taz Taz got fed up with you. He goes, don't worry about it, brother. I'm never saying nothing about you again. <laughs> he, yep. like, he like responded with something like that. And you were being cordial. You actually, one of your responses was, hey, if you want to debate this, I'd come on your show anytime and talk to you. Like you weren't being rude or anything about it. And he was like, exactly. don't, don't worry, don't worry about it, brother. Uh, it, it's, it's cool. You know, whatever. Uh, I, I'll never talk. I'll never, I'll never, we'll never have to talk about this again. So anyway. Yeah. It was like a smartest. Don't worry. I'll never mention your name on my show again. Yes. <laughs> See, there you go. Messing with Taz, man. Well, what did you think about Taz joining AEW? I mean, what, that, that, that had cool. to hit yeah. you. Yeah. No, good for them. <laughs> 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 oh, shoot. So, uh, but Crockett, I knew I had you here for a reason. Shaheem Ali. Thank you. Cause. I feel bad. That I couldn't remember his name. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, we had we, we had we had some good shows uh, when we talked about that stuff. So Taz, if you're listening, we don't hate you, but damn man, come on, be fair, be fair. But no, it's it's a uh, it is a imagine Fury. Imagine you in your prime, and I'm I'm not asking you to put yourself over. With let's say in you know 2005, at that point you're six years in. All of a sudden, Ring of Honor is the level it's at now. AEW is what it is. Think about like there's so many more opportunities now than there were then. Like your students are lucky. It's it's just I I, I try to explain it to them. I try to tell them that stuff. It's just, it's a different world. I you know I can't sit here and say oh man, imagine if or whatever. Like I like to think like I was good enough to have warranted getting a job or a contract somewhere. Um, had you know even if I was like three or four years younger than I am now. Like I could probably be doing something now. Um, you know, I'm going to be 41 next month. So it's like, it's a different story. Like I could get signed now. Meanwhile, I'm about, you know, three or four years older than like the Todd's and the Malonis's. So that's why they're able to still kind of do things like they are. It's just a little different. So times had changed. A little thing was this a little thing was that like literally the prime part of my career was that down era where they wanted nothing to do with independent guys. And I wasn't, big enough you know i was six feet like 210 pounds like good size guy a guy bigger than a lot of guys it's weird i'm by no means a big person but i'm bigger than a lot of people that are on tv and for any of the companies nowadays and it's just weird to think about that like i was always considered small and like i'm bigger than a lot of the guys that are out there now it's just Mm. if times were changed times were changed but they weren't so i just grin and bear it. it is what it is man um it is what it is so um did I miss anything, fellas? I don't think so. <laughs> remember, remember the beginning when you said Crockett turns it on and he's all excited? There he is. <laughs> man, when you turn the red light on, man, I've never seen a referee turn it on like Crockett does. <laughs> oh, man. No, I'm just I'm messing with the Crockett. Crockett, thank you for joining us. I really do appreciate it. Uh, you did add to it. And uh, Fury, thank you as well. Um, Brian, go ahead and and plug uh chaotic plug anything you want to plug i know we're in the middle of this pandemic and 
things are kind of slow and nothing much is happening but uh please, yeah, yeah i mean so everything. yeah i appreciate that you know um chaotic wrestling um you know we do a weekly tv show called elevated you want to check it out on the chaotic facebook page the chaotic youtube page google chaotic wrestling um or chaotic wrestling.com or put in chaotic wrestling in the facebook search engine you'll be able to find us watch our product one or two matches every week um and then there's the new england pro wrestling academy uh, neprowrestling.com or at neprowrestling on twitter and instagram uh find us check us out you know if you're thinking about becoming a professional wrestler our track record speaks for itself. Uh, there, I personally think there is no better place in the country to learn to become a professional wrestler uh, than with me and my crew at the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. And whenever Massachusetts lets us kind of open up and start doing things again, you know, I'll be glad to uh, let everybody know when we're up and running and taking new students and training and running shows again, because then my life will feel complete again. Amen to that. I think all of us want to get back to a some normalcy uh, when the time is right. I, I guess I'll leave it at that. Um, but, no, I appreciate it, you guys. Uh, Crockett, anything you want to plug? You want to plug WPAN? I know you posted uh, Dijak's old interview before he was uh, Dajakovic or Dajakovic or how the hell do you say it? I don't even know. I get confused because yeah, Di- of what you did. Dijakovic, I believe. Um, yeah, it's uh, – go to the WPAN.com. That is BWPAN.com. We're re- reposting old uh, – interviews that we've been doing because there's no new content right now the uh the show isn't happening uh we decided to stop doing the show because we were so busy and then there wasn't anything to do because the world stopped spinning so uh perfect timing as always from us uh, at the wpan but uh we're also do i'm also uh going to be appearing upcoming i think brian is too on a podcast based in new england called truth justice and the new england pro wrestling way it's a mouthful but it's a good podcast and we're going to be doing the new england indie wrestling all-time top 10 so uh kind of we're talking about indie wrestling here. Uh, we're talking about New England. If anybody is interested in that, uh, that's going to be coming out within the next couple of weeks. It's Truth, Justice, and the New England Pro Wrestling Way uh, at Pro Wrestling Way on Twitter and Facebook, I believe. If you want to find out about that, I think it's going to be a WPAN reunion. And I'm not promising that, but I think all three of us might be on that show. That's um. Is that going to be like like all-time new england uh indies like from like since 2000 or so or what's like is that what you're looking at crockett yeah into the 90s we're actually polling we're asking uh everyone anyone that's been associated with the business uh from the 90s to now to submit their personal top 10 lists and we're going to compile them and come up with the 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 ultimate top 10 still waiting on brian fury's top 10 just like i'm waiting on his bio for the wpan.com but uh hopefully we'll have his top 10 list and we'll be able to tabulate the results and reveal them on the podcast i was unaware there was a deadline for this i thought i was just going to reveal it on the show didn't know i had to like 100 percent officially turn it in ahead of time so <laughs> oh man you're gonna start some wars with this top 10 uh you realize that crockett yeah this is this is uh there's gonna be some ego oh, yeah. man there's gonna you know how guys get <laughs> oh man that that might start the second phase of the indie wars in uh, new england uh when you start bringing that out <laughs> we were talking about uh, earlier we we're talking about how the how the boys really pretty much got along you know the cross-pollinization it's like oh no, no we all got along good and then you do this no, I'm just kidding. That's it. It sounds like it'd be a good time. I'm actually glad you all are uh, going to do something again. And uh, Crockett, the offer still stands. I mean, the feed, you know, Smoky Mountain Wrestling is about to end. I mean, it's only got a few more weeks to go at this point. So, hey, 
If you ever want to join the feed, I'm just saying. Just saying. No, I guess I'll come up with something to do alone because I don't know if I want to be with, you know, saddled up with those two guys again. Jesus Christ. Wow. They're, drawing, they're the ones drawing the money on the show, man. Wow. I'm right here. <laughs> true. It's very true. Look, look here. here. Okay, let me let me make that offer again. The conditions of you guys joining the feed means that Fury and Malonis have to be a part of it. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. Well, yeah, probably yeah, not yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, Fury, thanks again for so much of your time tonight. I know you got a long day at work tomorrow. Uh, Crockett, thank, thank you thank, for your thank time. Thank you for having well. me. I appreciate it. No, it's always good. I I, I like talking to you guys, and uh, this was a this was a fun topic. Uh, we kind of all over the place, but I really enjoyed it, and uh, it, it brings back memories. I mean, there's. I could go on about some of the things that I experienced, but I I like to always hear what other people here, uh, you know, experience as well. And um, yeah, it's good. It's funny how things, uh, many things were different, but many things were all the same during that time period. So, uh, Crockett, why don't you do what Harper always does and uh, hit the tagline so we can wrap this thing up? Are you sure? Um, I guess. I mean, unless you got something else. <laughs> or do you, right, or do, you well, do you want me to play? I tell you what. Let me see. Uh, hold on. Let me uh. What did you just say? Are you sure? What yeah. the fuck? Fucking what? loser. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers, dog. That's <laughs> fucked up. Oh, boy. He's something else. Anyway, uh, I don't have a sound drop of Book It, Bitch. So, uh, Crockett, you hit it for me. All right. Book It, Bitch. <laughs> <laughs>